Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 24. Title of today's message is Storing Up Treasure. Treasuring Up Treasure. The pages of Scripture and honestly the pages of human history are filled with those who have been preoccupied with treasure. They've been wrecked by loving money, by what we would call materialism. In the Old Testament, we find a man named Lot. As he came and he looked over and Abraham, his uncle, said, all right, our sheep, our herds are growing. We can't stay together anymore. If you take the valley, I'll take the mountain. If you take the mountain, I'll take the valley. And Lot basically said, old man, take the mountain. I'm taking. And he looked over the cities of the plain, the valleys, the cities, the shopping, the everything. And he said, I'm going where life looks real good and easy. It didn't turn out good for Lot or his family. The children of Israel, they came into the promised land. The first battle was the battle of Jericho. And the command from the Lord was, this city is devoted to the Lord. It's under the ban. So Joshua, make sure you tell, don't anybody take anything. This land is so perverted, leave it all. It's all devoted to the Lord. And there was a man named Achan. And as he looked and he saw wealth and he saw garments and his mind, he coveted after those. He took them, he buried them in his tent. And it was found out when they went to conquer the city of Ai that there was sin in the camp. And his, man, his name was Achan. King Solomon, later on in Israel, if he would have written his copy of the word of God, the law of God as he was supposed to, he would have, he would have written the very line that kings are not supposed to take multiple wives. They're not supposed to have huge armies, multiple, just massive numbers of horses and chariots. And Solomon did all of that. And one by wife and another wife and another wife, hundreds of women he gave his heart to, and he became enslaved to the worship of the gods that came with those women. And you read later on, and you hear the remorse that's in his heart if he could just go back to the wife of his youth. And what he had that he didn't realize, the value of what he had in the love and the simplicity of life. And he writes, it's vanity, chasing after the wind, chasing after riches, chasing after pleasure, chasing after all that this world offers. And it's vanity, it's empty, it's meaningless. We get to the New Testament, we find a man named Judas. Judas Iscariot, he's filled with greed. He, with Jesus, he traveled three years. He was right there close to Jesus for all of that time, and he, never, he, missed, he missed Jesus. And it came down to that final act of worship, and that expensive perfume was anointed unto Jesus' feet, and Judas had it. We could have used that money for the poor. Yeah, right. 
translated, truthfully, that money could have gone in my pocket. He was a thief. And he went and made a deal. He arranged to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And he betrayed an innocent, the only innocent person who's ever lived. And when he realized that, and he took those 30 pieces of silver back, they didn't want it. They bought the potter's field with that money. And Judas Iscariot is forever attached with someone who loved money more than Jesus. He loved his idea, his plan for his life, his dream more than Jesus. I wish I could say he's the only one. Paul, the apostle, writes and he warns the younger Timothy about a man who is even a leader in the church. His name is Demas. And he warns Timothy to say, you have to be mindful of this individual. 2 Timothy 4.10 And Paul explains why when he says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. This is what Demas, attached to his name, his reputation forever known that Demas did not love Jesus, did not love the church, did not love Paul the apostle, did not love the gospel. He loved the here and now. He loved this present world. He deserted me. This morning, we're really going to be doing some heart work. What is a disciple's view toward possessions, toward things, wealth, accomplishments, trophies, stuff? Anybody have trophies in a box somewhere and you wonder, what do I do with these? You know, save them up for the grandkids, the great-grandkids. Like, here's, you know, the trophy from back in whatever and... I won the who could build the highest tower in third grade, and there's my trophy. What do you do with all this stuff? It just takes up space, doesn't it? When you go to move, that's when you see how much stuff do we really have here. We've got too much stuff, but then what do you do with it? Because sentimental uh, memories are attached to these things. But at the end, they're really just things. We need to each be asking ourselves this very important question. And it's not just for today, it's throughout this entire Sermon on the Mount, counterculture. Am I really counterculture? Am I known to be different? Do I fit in with this culture or do I stand out in this culture? Do the people that I work with, live nearby, go to school with, in my family, am I different? And I probably don't mean different like you think different. I mean culturally are they are we known by those around us that there's something different about you there's something different and it's because of the gospel it's because of what Christ has done it's because of who we belong to are we different or are we the same as everybody else if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus you've been saved by grace you are owned by God and it's in love and in grace and in mercy and he's given to you his son and he's given to you his word and he's given to you his church so a disciple loves Jesus a disciple loves the word of God a disciple of Jesus loves the church to gather to see people baptized to partake of communion together observe the ordinances together you can't do that 
wherever you may be, it's when the church gathers that we remember Christ in the body broken and the blood shed. So a disciple of Jesus, they love what God loves. They actually hunger. We hungered, show me where I'm thinking wrongly so that that change can be made to not just blend in and flow with culture, but to stand out for the glory of God and the good of all peoples. This is a work of grace. Now, when Jesus enters to this section, so if you're looking at your Bible, you see where we have come. The warning, all right, beware of practicing your righteousness. And he talked about our generosity, how are we praying, our fasting, all of these things. Now we enter into a, a part of Jesus' sermon where he's, he's going to identify danger zones for the disciple. There's areas that we can all fall prey to. So I trust that you've got a pen ready and you're ready to put these thoughts down and that the Holy Spirit will really in, just grave them on our hearts etch them on our hearts and our minds for the rest of our lives. As we talk about wealth, then Jesus will talk about anxiety. That's an area that can paralyze a person for doing what God would have them to do is worry, anxiety. But today we're going to talk about wealth. We're talking about treasure. We're talking about stuff, possessions, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Let's unpack this together this morning. How can we as disciples of Jesus live with eternal significance? Don't you want your life to count? Don't you want your life to matter for all time and eternity? How is this possible? Well, then we have to take what Jesus is saying here, what he is declaring, what he is teaching, and if he is our king, then we'll take it as difficult as it may be and we'll say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me understand these words and help me put them into practice in my life and obey you. Number one, we have instruction from Jesus and he says this, pursue treasure that is heavenly, not earthly. Pursue treasure that is heavenly, not earthly. So we think about what Jesus has said here and we ask questions. Am I spending or am I wasting or am I Am I investing the life that has been given to me? Spending it? Investing it? Wasting it? Or investing? If you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus, then the Spirit of God gives you a desire to invest your life. 
And the Spirit of God gives you the ability, enables you supernaturally to invest your life and not just spend it, not just waste it. So from Jesus, we see in verse 19, here's what he's saying. Do not spend your life for earth. Do not spend your life pursuing treasures on earth. So we ask questions. What is it that you treasure? What is it that you desire? What is it that is important to you? What's important to you? Now, every person here will answer this question differently. And even in marriage, that question is answered differently. What's important to you may not be what's important to your spouse. And conflict can engage if the, the goal is my desires are to be met. My expectations are to be met at all costs. You meet my standard and then we'll have a good marriage. No, you'll never have a good marriage. You'll never have good relationships that way. What is it that you want? Some people live for applause. Some people live for fame. Some people live for wealth or status or accomplishments. Some people live for their family. Some people live for the approval of others. Some people live for their career or sports or entertainment or pleasure or health. Or many people in our country live for the American dream. Isn't life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness somewhere in here? Isn't that my highest aim for life? Not according to Jesus. Not the Jesus revealed in the Bible. Not the Jesus hijacked by many people to support whatever errant belief they have. What is important to you? Because here's what we know, beloved. Whatever is important to you, you will do it. Whatever you love, you will fund. You will be there. You will do what you love. And so will I. If somebody loves to golf, I mean, love it. They'll golf. If somebody loves to hunt, they'll hunt. If somebody loves to fish, they will fish. If somebody loves, you know, off-roading, they will off-road. You name it, whatever it is, people will do what they love. Am I wrong on this? If you love music, you're going to do what you love to do. If you love to farm, I mean, we can go all day on what people love to do and it may never hit what you love to do. If you love sports, you'll be there. But we have to evaluate all of these loves. We have to evaluate all of these desires. So beloved, today is a really good day to take inventory on what is the driving passion or passions of your life. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. If you, if you render it the way it's stop treasuring up treasures on earth, the tense of the words there, stop treasuring up, storing up treasure on earth. You're headed down the wrong road. Everything that we store up here is at risk. It is possible to lose something here on earth, your earthly treasures, you may lose some of them in this lifetime. Jesus brings up the, the reality of erosion, wearing out. Your body will wear out. I was at the store yesterday, and there was a little, a little kid about this big with so much energy. 
little girl. She had two older brothers. And there was just massive, everybody's just looking around at these kids. And this kid is just running around the car, running around the car, fall down, get up, run around the car. And of course, the, the old tried and true statement of the lady behind me, I wish I had that energy. I said, if I had that energy, I'd hurt myself. I'd do more damage to myself. If I had that energy in this body, it would be worse for me, not better. I mean, she was like falling down, getting back up, two older brothers. I could tell she needed to be tough to survive in that house. And she was surviving. Jesus talks about the moth. It doesn't matter who you are, poor or wealthy. You put your clothes somewhere to store them. And in this generation, when Jesus is speaking, they would pass down garments to the next generation. And, and they didn't go through styles and clothing like we do. Unless a moth gets to it. Here's the garment I'm passing down to you. Uh, what's the big hole right there? Oh, that was once valuable and now it is a rag, worthless. No matter what the quality of the garment was. Now, I know my wife, this, this happened this week. I wore a shirt the other day. I thought it was a good looking shirt. And I had two members of my family both reject that. At the end of the day, that shirt was in the trash. Like, that shirt doesn't fit you anymore. That shirt is no good. Used to be good, not good anymore. I think there's a few other clothes that my wife would go through and say, this, this is gone, this is out, get rid of these. There's rust. In, in, another word here is worm. It's a general word for corrosion or eating away. Even if you think about steel, metals, you think about uh, concrete, you think about earth, you think about wood over time. I, I've got little bees. They're not little. They're big carpenter, those wood bees. And you hear them like, they are like fans. You hear them fly by. It's like a helicopter. And I look and I follow it and there they are boring holes that big up into the deck. Like this is not good. All of these things in this life will be subject to moths, rust. We live in Michigan. How's your car doing? Right? Give it enough time. Rusts and bubbles and all of that. James chapter 5, Jesus' half-brother, he says this, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Understand what J James is saying here, that those who trust in riches, their riches from God for God's glory have not been used that way nor regarded that way. So they say, this is my money. I invented this. I made this company. I designed this technology. I came up with this. This is mine. I came up with the plan of how people can shop at home and not have to go to a store. This is mine. And the Bible is saying all of those riches will stand in the judgment as evidence, as witnesses, testifying that you received much goodness from the Lord and you never returned thanks. The very thing that you are trusting in will stand in judgment and say, you missed the giver. I thought I got all those sports trophies on my own. 
I thought I got all those accomplishments at work and recommendations on my own. I thought that was all me. It had not much at all to do with you. It's from the Lord. Earthly treasures can be stolen by thieves. Anybody ever had something stolen? It's not, not enjoyable. Some time ago, Ginger was at a store and turns around and someone comes by real pleasantly and left with her purse. Wow, that was a different interaction. I thought, oh, it's so nice. Where's my purse? With that lady. Well, that didn't go good. The idea here is digging through the walls, that they would put something in a safe place in their house and then they go back to get it and a neighbor or a thief knew where to dig through the wall and they dug through the wall and took it. It's gone. Thieves break in and steal. So we protect our house. We protect our cars. It's interesting that this week, a politician in Georgia who is trying to advance the cause of we don't need all of these resources for police departments while he was at a ribbon cutting ceremony. His car was stolen, broad daylight. Kids come by, hey, here's a car. Now what are you gonna say? Quick, call 911. Eh, they're not there answering. Um, they needed it worse than I did? Well, why didn't you give it to them then? You're stuck. Think about the security that goes into banking and all of the hackers that are trying to get information, all of the security systems in place, trying to protect people from hacking in, digging in through the walls. So what do you have? A firewall. Anybody ever had their identity stolen? That's not good. Somebody hacks through, they pretend to be, and they steal resources away. It's all subject to that in this lifetime. Jesus is saying, where are you storing up your treasures and how long is it gonna last? I had everything thought of except the moth. The moth took me down. Rust! Thieves. So it's possible. Whatever you have in your accounts, whatever you have at your house, whatever you have in your car, it's possible in this lifetime you could lose it. But it's certain that at death you will lose all earthly treasure. It's certain that at death all earthly treasures you will say goodbye to. We enter and we exit this life with nothing material. We will not keep any stuff. And so Jesus is asked a question and then we find it in Luke 12. Luke 12 and verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Anyone ever known when someone passes away how people will turn on one another in a family over stuff, over money? But he, Jesus, verse 14, said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, now Jesus turns this question and he uses it in a teachable way to those who are gathered. He says, take care. And be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. 
And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to him, now he's talking to himself. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. It's all good. Know anybody living like that? Oh, retirement's good. Money's here. I'm great. I'm in charge. I don't need to depend on anybody. I can trust in myself. And then Jesus says, there's another voice to listen to, and it's verse 20, but God said to him, fool, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. What does that mean? So is the one, fool. It's foolish to lay up, store up, plan out all of this life, all of resources, and God just didn't make the cut. Not rich toward God. So, beloved, do not spend your life for what is earthly, but invest your life for heaven. Invest your life pursuing treasures in heaven. Oh, I pray that every person, every age will hear this sermon and say, God, help me to live this way. This is so fundamentally important to Christianity. Someone who's not a Christian, this doesn't matter to them. This is weird. This is strange. This is boring. This has nothing to do with me. Now back to my life. Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in. There's your option. It's either or. All that is given to God, beloved, all that we do for God's glory is eternally secure. This verb here is present imperative. It's a command. It's a command from Jesus and his disciples will hear and receive and obey this command. Someone who's not a disciple, this is hit snooze, right? Maybe later. That's interesting. Jim Elliott says it this way. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's articulating. He laid down his life. He gave his life with those other four missionaries in the jungles of Ecuador. And there are people who came to faith in Christ and there are churches now in those jungles because he was willing to give all. Because Jesus gave all. Listen to how Paul describes the mindset of a disciple, of a follower of Jesus. And then you and I have to ask the question, does this, does this describe me? Do I think like this? Colossians 3, 1. If then, if then. So think about that. If then, is this true of me? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Not subject to erosion, not subject to theft. 
This is eternal security of your soul and all that is laid up, stored up, riches toward God. How are we doing here? It's impossible for moth and rust to destroy what is in heaven. It is impossible for thieves to break in and steal in heaven. And God doesn't have to do any iOS updates. He doesn't need any upgrades to security. He is confidently, sovereignly, got it. What you give to me, secure. What you keep in thinking it's mine, not secure. You're gonna lose it. So Peter would write in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, he would say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's the gospel. That's what happens when our hearts are changed. What is this to, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Does it sound like God is fretting over keeping anything put into his care? No. Your soul, your eternal security, all that you offer to the Lord in service to him in whatever way that you serve the Lord, If you do that for the Lord, it's kept, it's guarded, it's secure. So that leads us then to evaluate, verse 21, we need to evaluate the condition of our hearts. How do we do this? Evaluate the condition of your heart, catch this now, by the location of your treasure. Or you could make that plural, by your treasures. What's important to you? So if we do a quick inventory and we look at what we support, we look at what we fund, we look at the events we attend, we consider what we enjoy, we think about what we love. How do we, how do we get to this? Look at your pictures, the ones on your phone, the ones you take, what's important to you. Look at your calendar. Where do you go? What's important to you? Look at your checkbook. Look at your account. What are you supporting? What's important to you? Let those reading, just just put the record on the table for the past month, two months, three months, and then say, do I agree with this? Am I investing in what is eternal or everything that's passing away? Am I living like the fool or am I living storing up treasure in heaven? I can't answer that for you. But we are all stewards and we have been given time, talents, and treasures. Not the same. We won't all live the same length of life, but we're given time. We don't all have the same access to resources. We don't all have the same amount of money. There are some under the sound of my voice, you're you're good. You have enough. There are some under the sound of my voice, you don't know how you're gonna pay the bills that are coming. You don't know how you're gonna take care of those things. We're all given time. We're all given talents. We're all given treasure. Some of us have different abilities. 
We're all given something. So the question is, and I wonder what they're doing. I wonder what he's doing. I don't know what she's doing. You know, she should be doing more. He should be doing more. The question is, what am I doing with what God has entrusted to me? My children, my stewardship of my family, finances, all of it, it's from the Lord. So we begin to think and we ask questions in this way. Am I faithfully giving my best to the Lord? Time, talents, treasure. Am I giving my best to the Lord or do I give him what's left over? You have to answer that question. For those those of us who are parents or grandparents, am I modeling for my children? Do they see me as a worshiper of Jesus? When it comes to my connection, my involvement in the local body of Christ, am I actively faithfully serving in this body of believers? These are the questions. I I cannot answer them for you, but I ask them because they're life's most important questions. Are we doing what Paul said to the Ephesians? Making the best of the, the use of our time because the days are evil? Does that describe us? Are we investing our time or are we just floating down river with everybody else? The days are evil, so we as disciples are called, commanded, invited. Make the best use of your time. Pursue treasure that is heavenly, not earthly. And number two, pursue sight that is good, not evil. Pursue sight that is good, not evil. And now Jesus gives an illustration. Is it helpful when someone gives you instruction and you, they can tell you're just kind of foggy? You're not really sure what they're saying. How do I do this? I'm not sure how to do this. Let me give you an illustration. Oh, okay, thank you. Woo, I need the illustration. That's what Jesus does here to give an illustration. Pursue sight that is good, not evil. How do we view our possessions? How do we view God? What is our perspective, our sight, our vision of trials? How do we view blessings and burdens? Each answer to life's most important questions will help us diagnose the true spiritual condition of our hearts. Do we have spiritual sight or are we, am I, spiritually blind? Do I have clear vision? spiritually or blurry. That's what Jesus is getting at. The eye of the lamp, verse 22, the eye of the lamp of the body is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, if it's good, your whole body will be full of light. What is Jesus saying? Healthy eyes have a single focus. Healthy eyes have a single focus. They have been liberated from duplicity, straddling the fence, living for both worlds, heaven and earth. You can't do it. C.S. Lewis is the one who said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. You try to live for both heaven and this life, you can't do it. No one can. So what are you living for? Where are you living for? Healthy eyes have a single focus. They're single-minded. They're freed up to live for one driving 
passion, and purpose in life. Turn with me in your Bibles. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost. Thousands of people come to faith in Christ. And we see what happens in the outworking of this great work of God that took place under the preaching of Peter after the coming of the Holy Spirit. We endeavor as a church and as leaders and men will be gathering this Saturday at 8 o'clock because this is our mindset. We want to do this. We want to pattern our lives after what we read in Scripture. We want to worship together. We want to walk together. We want to work together. That's what we see them doing in the early church, Acts 2 and verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, pro the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad, and here it is, generous hearts. There's simplicity to their lives. They're, they're not living for heaven and earth anymore. They're not living for the applause of heaven and the applause of earth anymore. And the joy that comes out of being delivered from trying to live for both worlds is Dis displayed in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know what I ask myself when I read this? What would happen if Grace Community Church, every member lived like this, this mindset? How many people would be saying, can you tell me more about what you believe that God would be adding hundreds, even thousands of people as worshipers of Jesus because they see the followers of Jesus not following after the God of this age, the God of this world. The double-minded person is distracted. They're trying to live in both worlds. And James 1.8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Trying to do both. Trying to be a Christian. Trying to also live for earth. Both. Can't do it. So Jesus is here saying, healthy eyes have a single focus, but evil eyes are self-deceived. Bad eyes are self-deceived. Here's why. They can't see that they can't see. Now let this sink in. If a person is blind, that's a tragedy. They know they can't see. But the person that Jesus is addressing here is a person who thinks they believe that they can see because they've been religious, they've done some things, they were baptized, they said the prayer, they, they, whatever it may be, they gave some money, they did the other. They think that they can see, but they can't see 
that they can't see. This is a tragedy. Jesus says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So when you stand on a day like today, the sun is shining and you look and you see the light, it fills your whole body. If you can't see or you're in a very, very dark place like a a cave or a cavern and they turn the lights out, you're filled with darkness. You can't see. You don't know where to go. Jesus is saying here that the tragedy is multiplied in this person's life because they don't know, they can't see. They're self-deceived. I'm all right. I'm fine. I'm self-made. I've got plenty of money. I've got plenty of friends. I'm okay. I'm good. Leave me alone. I'm religious. Their light, Jesus says, is actually darkness. And so Jesus says of this dire condition, it's a problem. If the light then is darkness, how great is this darkness? This is a double tragedy. This person, you can't change their mind humanly. You can't argue them out of their darkness. They have their argument locked up. I have light. But it's contrary to what Jesus said. You're going to collide with Jesus sooner or later. Leave me alone. I can see and I'm fine. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't because you can't live for both worlds. Now, in Mark chapter eight, Jesus uses an illustration. And this illustration, this this teaching puzzled me. Mark chapter eight, verse 22, because he heals a man that was blind, but he does it in a most unusual way. And when Isaac Shaw, our our partner uh, there in India, was here preaching, he preached on this message some years ago. Mark chapter 8, verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he, Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Okay, now honestly, that's how I see if I don't have my contacts in. You don't ever want me driving you anywhere, leading you anywhere, hardly walking near you if I don't have glasses on or contacts in. Because you would look like, this would be my verse. You look like trees walking. Like I see figures, but I don't see who it is that I'm looking at. And depending on your stature, how big of a tree or small of a tree you would be. Oh, you're just a little plant. You're a tall tree. So the question is, well, was Jesus running low on power this day? Did he need to have an energy drink? Did he need to recharge his batteries? His miracle power was just half that day? Is that what's going on here? No. He's using this man's blindness and this miracle to teach a marvelous truth that that goes in a connected way to what we're studying in Matthew 6. Verse 24. He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Verse 25. 
Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Why did Jesus do this? Because all around this miracle were people who were religious who were aiming for Jesus to be crucified and they thought they could see, but they couldn't see. They were religious and they thought they had the vision that everybody else needed, but they were miserably blind. But their light, Jesus is saying, is actually darkness. And he used this blind man in two stages to heal him to let that man testify to what everybody else should have been saying who was not trusting in Christ alone. And that is, I can't see. And the blind man was the one who actually was the seeing man to see Jesus for who he is. Oh, that we would pursue treasure that is heavenly, not earthly, pursue sight that is good, not evil, and thirdly, pursue living for God, not materialism. Living for God, not materialism. And we see this in verse 24. Here we have an application and an invitation from Jesus. Now, beloved, this is a difficult message. Can I just remind us all, I am not the author of this message. I am the herald of this message. I'm just the messenger. I'm the mailman. I'm delivering you the message. And for us to take inventory of our hearts, that would be pleasing to the Lord. And in verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. The word is curios. It's a landowner. It's a Lord. And he's using this illustration to provide an invitation. He says, for either he will hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot you cannot, you cannot serve God and money. So what is Jesus saying? A servant can only have one master, beloved. Now, this is strange to us because many of us have worked multiple jobs in our lives where we have answered in one environment to one employer and in another environment to another employer, they don't own us. They have us for a time and we do what they ask us to do, but they don't own us. So it misses the point here that if you are a slave, you are owned by someone, not yourself. You are owned by someone else and you can only be owned by one person. You can't be owned by multiple people. A person... Yes, we can have multiple employers, but a slave can only have one master. So here's the question that Jesus is driving at. Who owns you? Who owns you today? Who controls you today? Whose driving passion do you live for today? A servant can only have one master. And the second truth here under this is a servant can only honor one master. A servant can only honor one master. And Jesus says, you'll hate the one and you'll love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. What is he talking about? Hate. That our love for Christ makes all other loves pale in comparison that it's our, our only relationship that we can totally trust and never lose. It's with Jesus. We can only have one master. We can only honor one master. 
R.T. France, he helpfully gives a description. He says, hate here, as often in the Bible, carries a comparative sense. Not necessarily of active dislike, so much as of displacement by a higher loyalty. That's R.T. France. If we're devoted to one, then we will despise the other. And Jesus says, let me just put this right on the front burner. You cannot serve God and money, stuff, materialism. It's impossible. I can't do it. You can't do it. So we need to, we need to be warned here because this area of our lives easily can take over other areas, take other areas captive in our lives. Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Notice it's not money. Money isn't the root of all evil. It's loving money. And he says that it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Where did they go wrong? They didn't turn their eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. They turned their eyes to the things of earth. And Jesus grew dim and his grace and his glory. It's the opposite of that chorus. So we need to beware and we need to fight back. In Hebrews 13 and verse 5, the writer says, keep your life free from the love of money. That we can allow this sermon to help us, beloved, Evaluate who owns me, what owns me, what drives me. Am I able to be content with what I have been given? Keep yourself, your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That if you have God, what can you ultimately lose? Answer, nothing. If you have everything, you gain the whole world and you don't, you don't have Christ, what will you lose? Everything, including your soul. Oh, that we hear this. J.C. Ryle, he echoes the invitation of Jesus in a helpful way. He says, there are thousands in our churches uncomfortable ill at ease and dissatisfied with themselves and they hardly know why. The reason is revealed here. They are trying to keep in with both sides. They are endeavoring to please God and please man to serve Christ and serve the world at the same time. Let us not commit this mistake. Let us be decided thoroughgoing, uncompromising followers of Christ. I wonder if that resonates with you this morning. I wonder if you hear that invitation from J.C. Ryle, who is now in the presence of the Lord, and you say, that's my desire to live for Jesus. How does Jesus expect us to live as disciples? Pursue treasure that is heavenly, not earthly, Pursue sight that is good, not evil. And pursue living for God, 
not materialism. So let's close by asking a few questions. These questions, they're on the bottom of your worship guide. You can take these over lunch. I encourage you to take them and, and share and discuss. Think through them. Talk about them. The first question is this, why? Why is materialism so powerful and so deceptive? Traps so many people. The second question is this, why is materialism never able to provide satisfaction, security, or even stability that lasts? It could be gone in a moment. And the third question is this, connecting this all together with Matthew 6 and the sermon, how can prayer and fasting be useful in helping you lessen your desire for material things? And I would also include generosity, giving, sharing with others. So it frees up our, the grip that we have and that things have and materialism has. And even living in this culture that we live in that we're gripped by, here's where I'll be fine is if this or that fill in the blank. How can these disciplines be useful in helping you and I lessen our desire for material things and enhance our desire for that which lasts forever. Which are you living for? Can we help you take that step today? Easy step? I'm not going to lie to you. No. Worthwhile? For all eternity, yes. Don't live for the here and now. Let the glory of God, the eternal reality of heaven, the surety of his word, the indwelling of his spirit allow you and may God allow me to live in light of eternity. And that's where we actually right now live a life that is investing and not spending and not wasting, but God using us to invest our lives. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for your word I thank you for your spirit. We cannot do this on our own. We are utterly dependent upon you, Lord. So I pray that we will be aware and be mindful that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil and that we will fight against that and keep ourselves, our lives free from the love of money. May we draw near to you through prayer, through fasting, through giving, and use us, Lord, for your glory. As we read in Hebrews, there were those, they willingly had their goods plundered because they knew that their eternal security was settled in heaven, untouchable. And so for the good of others and the glory of God, their, their bondage to stuff was canceled. Father, we need that. Help us in this way. For the glory and honor of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.